my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wealth. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner. I am here with a special co-host today. Nolan, how are you doing? Ansel, I love life. Things are moving in the right direction for Bitcoin. The world's changing quickly. I think all in our favor. I I think it's all working out. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. We do have a very good show lined up today. We're going to talk about something that dropped this morning. There was a bill introduced in the U.S. House to stop the issuance of a digital dollar, CBDC. So we're going to read through that bill really quick. It's very short. It's like three paragraphs. So we're going to read through that. Then we're going to look at what the Fed says about CBDCs. Of course, some charts with Bitcoin and stock market and some macro stuff. And then at the end, we're going to wrap it up with China developments because I feel like things in regard to China are just happening so quickly right now that I want to make sure that people stay abreast with that. So if you guys are listening to this on or watching this, I guess, on YouTube or Rumble, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe wherever that is. And other than that, Nolan, do you have any admin notes up front? Yeah, I did my show on incrementalism around the China narrative and the COVID labs and all that stuff today. So maybe I can add a little color, a little interesting interjections on that, but looking forward to the rest of this. We do our show every day at 8 a.m. Eastern time, YouTube, Twitter. We look at the fake news. We look at the psyops. We look at Bitcoin in the context of some futurism and what are the different models that are coming to help perpetuate a better future and to uncork our imaginations to what the world will look like on a Bitcoin standard. But right now we're to watch stuff and very much the real fiat world, the dictates, the language, the decrees. What of the decrees, Ansel? What of the decrees? 
Yeah, well, I love having you here, Nolan, because like CK, you kind of keep the show grounded. I get a little heads down in a lot of the papers and, you know, reading. I, I, you know, if you're immersed in central bank stuff, you can kind of lose control of yourself a little bit. So that's what I really like with it. And when you're a co-host here, because uh, that keeps me grounded make, very solidly in Bitcoin. So very much well, appreciate you being here. But I will say, and so the last time I was on the show, which would have been just after Christmas time, you made your predictions on Bitcoin. So far, you got it nailed, man. You have properly so articulated what was to come in the first two months of the year. I was a little bit more pessimistic. So while I do keep you grounded, you had the more optimistic and bullish outlook, and you've been right mm -hmm. so far. Yeah, well, thanks. Small degree yeah. of difference, but you've been right. Definitely been right. Yeah, I've been directionally correct, at least. A lot of people, well, we're going to talk about that too today, because a lot of people are just very bearish out there, of course, with recession. People are, you know, they flip-flop. First it was, oh, we're going into recession. Then it's going to be a hard landing. Then no landing. Then now back to hard landing. It just seems like everyone's flip-flopping all the time. And I've been very consistent with my calls. So yeah. You that? didn't hear Lagarde said no recession today. <laughs> yeah, back said, to no there's, recession. One. Yeah, there's no recession. Don't worry about it. Europe's doing great. They're doing great. No problems. Well, it's interesting because the way they measure it, if it's going to be a recession, right? Because if it's two quarters of negative GDP growth, real GDP growth. So when you have falling inflation and falling economic activity, it's kind of a race to see which one's falling more. And then it's kind of hard to get two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So yeah, that's, that was, has been one of my arguments all along that perhaps this kind of once in a 40 year inflation spike that we've seen is going to just mess with all the numbers. And we are going to see that in some of the charts that we look at, like the 10 year and some of the inversions that are still happening right now. So, yeah, I don't know. I hate to agree with central bankers and I think I agree with them by accident most of the time, you know, but yeah, that's how it is. So what should we start with? Should we start with, let's start with the charts. That way we can get grounded in Bitcoin. So Chris, could we have, let's see, this is going to be a little bit later down here. Slide number nine, please. I actually put them out of order. So this is the Bitcoin daily chart. And on here, I just have the 50 day and the 200 day. And you can see we're about to test that 50-day moving average? I don't know. What do you think? What is your feeling on the price right now? I mean, if you believe the headlines, you would think we we're all the way down at like 19,000, right? Because everything just feels so bearish out there. But really, we're up at 23,000. So Nolan, what's your take on the daily chart here? Yeah, I feel that momentum. It does make me think of the 2019 cycle, I can't help but think in terms of your cycles, whether it's true or not, I'm not sure. I just am predisposed to thinking that way because it feels that way. And we are dealing with the psychology of Bitcoin. So I remember in 2019, there was a lot to be bullish for and a lot to be bullish about. And we see it in the other indicators. So maybe the price is where it's at, but all the other indicators in the network seem to be positive, right? Even just the demand for block space is higher than maybe in all of history. So yeah. the network Hash itself, rate. yeah, the network itself is definitely feeding off of something that's going on. And, you know, my prediction at the beginning of this winter was that ESG as an idea was about to die. 
and that energy literacy after paying all of these bills in Europe over the winter and even what's going on in America with our own cost of energy. Nothing compared to the rest of the world, but I bet that this would have a major effect on people's energy literacy, that we would start seeing energy literacy as a real subject, right? To understand that policies have consequences and maybe Greta's feelings are not the most important factor to orient your entire economy on. And you should maybe not worry if a young girl is upset about something that's going on with energy policy or a young man or young anybody, right? Just young people being upset about energy policies. Maybe not the best guide to your energy system and therefore literacy is on the rise. And that's what I see behind Bitcoin. I continue to see this energy argument. And as long as the mining price is not, you know, in the tank and that it looks like it's profitable right now. And that's really the thing that I pay most attention to. It doesn't look like the miners are as distressed at these prices as they were. Like you said, there's a big difference between 19 and $23,000 Bitcoin. It's a totally different psychological space. So I'm much more optimistic than I was the last time I was on the show. And what I see here in the trends at least we'll stay this way. That's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I think this level, the kind of red zone below the price right now is a pretty important level to hold because it is that 50 day moving average as well as some pattern, you know, horizontal support. So we'll see what happens. But if we go to the next slide, this is the weekly chart. And this is very interesting here. Okay, I know people don't, a lot of people don't believe in technical analysis. And I don't think it has any magical powers. I just believe that technical analysis is a collection of shelling points on the chart where people place their bids and orders and you know, whatever, and that attracts the price. And you can see, like, just look at this death cross, the first ever death cross on the weekly chart for Bitcoin in Bitcoin's history. That's the 50 crossing below the 200 day. And that sucked the price right up to it, right up into that. We bounced right on the 200 day and still have not been able to close above the 50 day, but we're struggling right now to do that. But yeah, this chart is just very interesting. Now it does look bearish. Okay. On first blush. But one thing that I didn't put on here is the bullish divergences that is with the momentum and stuff that happened in November. So we had two weekly bullish divergences and those are the first ever bullish divergences on the Bitcoin chart. So a couple first evers here, and we'll see which one wins out. So Nolan, do you have any comments on this chart here? Yeah, when was the last death cross before some of this stuff? Because we did want to have one a couple of years ago, correct? And was it not in the 2019? We uh... did. We got very close, it, let's see, at the end of 2018 at the dip, but it never did cross. This is the first time on the weekly chart that it ever has had a death cross. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't do too much of this charting. I see momentum everywhere, but yeah, this definitely does sort of call into some of our assumptions, some of our narrative bias. And I think as you know, when people say stay humble and stack sats, I try to remember that the stay humble part is we might get stuff wrong. We could get stuff wrong all the time. And just because things don't go exactly as predicted doesn't mean we're wrong, but it definitely means we should question what we're looking at. And I think as Bitcoiners, we always do that, right? We're always questioning Bitcoin itself. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be real Bitcoiners if we didn't maintain a certain skepticism. So, well, in trading, there's a saying, you know, you want to cut your losses when you're wrong. 
and you want to double down on those times that you're right. And I think that also goes quickly or when you're trying to figure something out, if you have think you figure something out and you've made some correct predictions, whether that is price or whether that is in the news cycle, you know, or adoption wise or something like that, then you double down on those things that you were right on and you learn that way. And then if you are wrong about something, you can cut your losses and change your assumptions and figure out a new way to look at what's going on in the market. So yeah, I totally agree with that. We are not going to be right even 50% of the time, most likely. But the important thing is to double down on when you are right. So, And I would say one of the things that I've felt good about the recent momentum and the recent upsurge is, you know, I think we, we might have gotten rid of some of that paper Bitcoin era mm. stuff. Because remember, the Bitcoin network can't be manipulated. But of course, the Bitcoin price is manipulated. It's just on the open market with everything else that's manipulated all the time. Now, I have right. no proof whatsoever, and I'm not using it as an excuse and saying, oh, Bitcoin's manipulated unfair. Guess what? We don't live in a fair world, right? Nothing is fair in the fiat world when it comes to financial engineering and leverage and all of these types of bets and positions and shorting and who knows what, right? Now, I've always been of the belief that when you play with fire, you could get burned. And I've always thought that the people who do play these games with Bitcoin, it might work for a day or two, especially if you have paper Bitcoin to take the pressure away. But what we've seen recently with the chain being used more and with the collapse of the folks like FTX, and we've seen Bitcoin flying off exchanges, right? We've seen all of those models as well, the HODL waves getting stronger, more accumulation happening. And you can start to imagine that although it was manipulated, no proof, none whatsoever, just a feeling, right? That is starting to go away. Because remember, one of the big differences that I saw in the previous Bitcoin bull runs that I lived through was that on-chain interest each time, but the chain even had trouble keeping up transactions and buying it on-chain and all these things. And Paper Bitcoin really took that away when we got to $6 Bitcoin or whatever the heck was going on when coin was launched and all these other things were happening and everyone was all excited and who knows what kind of paper Bitcoin FTX was selling into the market. Who else with their paper Bitcoin, right? And you never really saw the chain get wound up and primed the way you'd seen it before. And what I mean by that is just even transaction fees being an indicator of the massive amount of interest that people had. So I hope to see that again one day, and I hope to see habits of a change such that the limited nature of Bitcoin block space and the value commodity that it is can start actually even reflecting in the price just by FOMO being expressed through the technology. So that, that could be what we're seeing here, right? You know, people have commented on that now that the paper guys are out of the game and the short guys are out of the game and all that. Maybe that's why it was able to push up so quickly in the past few weeks. And uh, it's neat to see it happen again. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. 
plebs. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. I've seen a friend of the show, Dylan McClare, he had a tweet out there showing the liquidity or the depth of the order books of the exchanges that are, I think it was trading with Tether, the Tether pair, and it was at an all-time low from when they had measured it. So, I mean, this is a period where there could be high volatility, both to the upside and the downside. And that's what I said on my Market Pro letter. I was like, I think this is time to pay attention right now there is a possibility that we could move very quickly in one direction or the other, which way that's going to be. Well, let's try to figure that out and see. So yeah, I totally agree with you that there is manipulation. Everything is manipulation. I mean, if somebody is big and they come in with a hundred million dollar order on the exchange, they're going to move that price. And is that manipulation or is that just buying and selling? It's what, who are we to say that's manipulation, but Okay, let's move on and try to speed through some of these other charts. Now, the next one is going to be the S&P 500. Chris, can we get the next slide, please? And this also shows the everybody's been so bearish. The headlines have been so bearish. This is the end of some bull, bull trap and the next leg of the recession is coming. I am not a recessionista here like I think so many people are. I think that there is actually a possibility of a melt up in stocks and you'll have to read my market pro letter to know exactly why that is. But I think there is a possibility of that, but you can see on this chart, we're getting higher highs, higher lows still. We didn't hold the 50 day, but we didn't hold the 50 day either at the last time that we had that swing low. So, you know, we are holding the 200 day right now, which I think is very important and we'll see where it goes from here. But right now there are reasons to be bearish obviously, but overall, there's no reason to be overly bearish. Like I hear out there all the time on the financial press. Now also stocks are highly correlated with Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin has a big rally, you know, a low liquidity spike, most likely the stock market will follow that. And that would correspond with some sort of bounce. So I always try to look at these narratives and build these narratives for the next week or two, what I think we could see in the market. But overall, my base thesis is higher Bitcoin and higher stocks, even higher bonds, not higher bond yields, but lower bond yields for the rest of the year. So Nolan, do you have any comment on the stock market chart? Are we seeing a death cross in the stock market too, or are my eyes just crossed? This is a golden cross for the 50s. That, okay. Yeah. So my eyes yeah. are crossed. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. It was yep. the, it's the good one. The good one. The one yep. you want. Yeah, and this is the daily chart. So Bitcoin had a golden cross as well just before this one on the stock market. It's been so correlated. They even had the golden cross at nearly the same time, which I think is pretty interesting. So, okay, let's go on to the next chart is the 10-year because a lot of people are talking about that this today. And you can see it's kind of spiking up over 4% for the first time in several months since back in, I think, November, it was already below 4%, but it might have been like November 1st or 2nd, it crossed below 4% and now it's crossing back above. However, look at the Fed funds target range has made it so, you know, made its way much higher. So the 10 year is still 
far below the Fed funds target range, which doesn't make sense. Why would anybody buy a 10 year that's yielding below the risk free rate? So anyway, I also broke down some of the inversions. So if we go to the next chart, this is the 10 year three month. This is the most inverted that it has been in the record that I could find going all the way back to the mid eighties. So this is a very significant inversion, of course but it has bounced. You can see that there has come back up over the last couple weeks. The inversion is getting less bad. And what that usually means is people think, you know, people say, okay, when it inverts, then you have about six months time till a recession or whatever. And when it comes out of inversion, that's when the recession is imminent, like about to hit. So anyway, a lot of people are looking at this 10 year, three month inversion bouncing here. If you go to the next chart, this is another kind of the gold standard for inversions. And this is the 10 year, two year, and this does not have a bounce yet. This continues to get worse. This is also one of the worst on record. You can see going back there to the great financial crisis on the left, barely got inverted before COVID. I mean, I think it went inverted for one day or something like that. And this one is just monstrous. Now, if you were to look at this and you didn't know anything else, you'd be like, oh my God, the mother of all recessions is coming. The, you know, a great depression 2.0 is on its way. And I'll just mention that we've, we are having huge CPI numbers and these huge CPI numbers are coming down. And how does that mess with rates? You know, it has a very close relationship with rates, with inflation. And so I think it's very hard to tell exactly what is going on from just looking at these inversions. But that is, well, I have one more, unless you have a comment on these rates. Yeah, so just Nolan. like those 2019 inversions, when that was the first time I had sort of seen that in mainstream media, if you see on all of your charts, there's that time when it's sort of dipping down in 2019. And again, here you see it get real close. And that was... You know, everyone talking about it at the time. What does it mean? Inversions, we're going to have trouble. That seemed like more of a concern, at least from the financial media talking about it. They seem more concerned about the novelty of it, the first time of it happening in 2019 than they do this time. Exactly for the reasons you're mentioning, that the denominator here is different because of CPI right. over the past few months, that you're just not comparing apples to oranges or apples to apples anymore. You're comparing apples to oranges. And whatever happened back in 2019 was a different dollar. And based on the, let's say, tighter fundamentals of the time, it looked sicker. The patient looked sicker than now, or maybe they're having some symptoms. But in this case, the patient's reference point is just completely different. So the baseline yes. itself has changed. Yeah, ex exactly. The CPI went up so fast and now it has come down so fast and maybe going up again so fast, we don't know. And from one six month period to the next or quarter to quarter, whatever you want to take it as, you know, there could be a completely different picture for all of these different levels of yields and tenors. And so, yeah, it gets very confusing, but that's what the market is trying to figure out right now. So we'll see where it goes. My last chart is the dollar. And this one is, you can see we're off the lows. We're kind of sitting pretty here at 104, 105 the last week or so. I do expect it to continue to go higher, but some people are saying it's going to go lower. I don't know. I think this looks like a bullish chart. If you ask me that we're breaking some of these important levels and we're just going to go higher. Now, I don't think that this is going to be another dollar wrecking ball scenario. A lot of people are worried about that. I do think that 
the dollar just is destined to trickle higher because so many people are short dollars when they are owing dollar debt around the world. I mean, foreign governments owe dollar denominated debt. So, you know, they're, everybody is short dollars. And if it just trickles upwards, that means that, you know, people are trying to get a hold of dollars to pay that debt. Now, if we're going into recession, at least the global economy slowing down, it's going to get harder to get those dollars to make those payments. So the dollar has to strengthen. I think that what, is just common happened, sense. What happened to the deals? Now, I don't know if you know the answer and I don't know the answer off the top of my head at all, but I remember when there was some liquidity considerations, concerns in the real 2020 lockdown time, the yeah. Federal Reserve committed to signing deals with, for example, the Bank of Korea and a few others that said, well, whatever you need, you get. Whatever you yeah. need, you get for dollars. And are those deals still in effect? Do they have a sunset on them? Is this still just the way it's cooking? Will that have any effect in case it's still in existence, these deals on this dollar demand? Yeah, those are the dollar swap lines that they do with the other central banks. And so what they do is they have the other central banks have the ability to access dollars directly from the Fed. But it's yeah, seven weeks or seven days, two weeks, something like that, three month time on time frame on them. So those are pretty much all paid back from the COVID crisis. Okay, but those okay. policies they're, are they're not forever. They're not forever. Right. But those policies still are in effect. So they can access that if they need to. But, you know, as soon as they access, like we, people were speculating about the Swiss National Bank accessing those, you know, last year during the UK guilt crisis and the Credit okay. Suisse stuff and, you know, that period. So people were speculating that the Swiss National Bank accessed those swap lines at that time. So you can do that. But the problem with doing that, you know, anytime you get a bailout, it's going to hurt your credit rating. So these countries, these central banks don't want to go to the swap lines if they don't have to, because there's this stigma attached to it. Right. So, yeah, the, we don't know exactly what's going on, but that's is that does that answer your question? Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Yeah. OK, well, let's go on to the CBDC news this morning. So, Chris, if we go to slide number one and this one is out of Zero Hedge and you can see the headline is. House Republicans accuse Biden White House of creating authoritarian style digital dollar. And I'm going to pull this up here so I can read it. Where, what did I do with it? One second. There it is. <laughs> okay, so President Joe Biden and his administration are attempting to develop an authoritarian style and surveillance style digital U.S. dollar through executive orders, warned the House Majority Whip Tom Emmer on Tuesday. The four-term congressman recently introduced the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act to prohibit unelected bureaucrats in Washington from issuing a central bank digital currency that critics argue would diminish America's financial privacy rights. The bill, which has several Republican co-sponsors, would also ensure that the Fed Federal Reserve is held accountable in its research and development of the digital dollar. Quote, the consequences, if we get it wrong, are far too serious, Emmer said in a news conference. Quote, the Biden administration is currently itching to create a digital authoritarian style, surveillance style digital dollar through an executive order. 
The bill, Emmer says, would restrict the central bank from issuing a CBDC and using a CBDC to implement monetary policy and control the national economy. He adds that efforts to digitize the U.S. dollar need to be transparent and protect Americans' rights to financial privacy. Developing a digital version of the greenback must enhance financial inclusion, ensure transactions are efficient, and refrain from threatening Americans' privacy or sovereignty. Quote, we need these common sense guardrails to prevent unelected bureaucrats here in Washington from sacrificing Americans' rights to financial privacy, he said. We do not want, sorry, we do not want to emulate the CCP. We should not be taking our direction from the Communist Party of China. In March 2022, President Biden signed an executive order that requested the Federal Reserve to continue its ongoing CBDC research, experimentation, and evaluation to determine the benefits and risks of a digital dollar. So they mentioned their CBDC Anti-Surveillance Act. And so what I did was I went ahead and looked that up. And can we get the next slide, Chris? Nolan, stop me whenever you have something. Okay, so this one is the bill right here. And I'll read this bottom paragraph. And it says, to amend the Federal Reserve Act to prohibit the Federal Reserve Banks from offering certain products or services directly to an individual to prohibit the use of central bank digital currency for monetary policy and for other purposes. And the main paragraph here is they're going to add this paragraph into the Federal Reserve Act. Except as specifically authorized under this act, the Federal Reserve Bank may not offer products or services directly to an individual, maintain an account on behalf of an individual, or issue a central bank digital currency directly to an individual. It, then it goes on to prohibit them from using it to implement monetary policy. And then if they are doing studies, it says that you must report to Congress on a regular basis what studies, what pilot programs you're doing, you know, extending their oversight, con congressional oversight over a CBDC. So that's what I have on this, Nolan. I do did want to go through a few key points from earlier last year the Fed came out with their CBDC paper talking about CBDCs. But before I do that, do you have any response to this most recent bill coming yeah. in front of Congress? Look, I mean, I think one of the things Bitcoiners can take comfort in is that the idea that America has some like rules-based system or that we're trying to preserve <laughs> a system that provides freedom to people and all of these things is luckily becoming more and more of a farce, right? I think people are starting to see that these are not, like just saying the words leader of the free world and thinking of our president today is an absurdity now when that used to be the title of the job. Now, I don't think the title of the job has to be the leader of the free world going forward. I think there's plenty of other, I think there's plenty of other circumstances where the president to sit back and be what they might become just a, you know, someone who tries to negotiate different policies between states and has a limited toolbox, which is the way the role was designed. You know, we, yeah. we kept president running in the way it was practiced from World War II on and now we see it purely being run out of executive orders for quite a while, and that was never the way the job was intended. So we might see a complete rewriting of the job, complete rewriting of the job. This is what happened after Abraham Lincoln, for example. Abraham Lincoln reinvented the job of president in order to win the Civil War. 
And immediately after, I mean, can you name any president other than U.S. Grant between him and whatever else happened in the 20th century? I mean, all of them are sort of forgotten because Congress took a heck of a lot of power and the states took a heck of a lot of power after the Civil War ended. And things changed in America just organically and naturally. And I think we're there, right? I don't think there is a mandate to get any of this stuff done. I don't think you're going to see any will amongst states. I think individual states will start opting out if something like this goes forward, right? You know, you hear some of that talk about a national divorce in America. I mean, what's the point of having states to begin with? We're already in a kind of, you know, arrangement with our neighbors and our friends and our family in the United States. So you have the option to arbitrage already in the United States to go to another state. And I continue to see individual states pushing for their own objectives. And I can imagine there'll be multiple states who would opt out of any such of a scheme. You're seeing federalism used to leverage a very similar scheme in Canada right now, which is these ID cards, which will be the VAX passes, which are the CBDC distribution system. And they're tying it expressly into payments the federal government makes towards the states to pay for healthcare. And you're already seeing states balk at it, right? You're seeing states say, no, we don't, don't give us the money. Keep the billions. You can, you can just F off, right? We're not going to bother. We're not, you keep all of it because like Canada, leader of the country, in this case, Trudeau, has very low credibility, very low credibility. And so the more I see these leaders try to take these forward, the more questioning of the Federal Reserve System you're going to get, the more dexterity and looseness in the American experience and experiment you're going to get. And so I encourage them to keep up with their bright ideas. I encourage them to put forward more ESG plans, which I just saw was completely destroyed by the Senate. And it looks like the president's going to have to veto He's going to have to veto. He's going to have to use his first ever veto in order to push ESG through the SEC onto Wall Street and onto American investors and things like that. So it's the same deal, right? They're pushing ESG onto the American investor. It's a scam. It's a fraud. They're going to get nothing but people talking out about it. You're going to kill ESG. It's a punchline now. You know, Bitcoin 2023 in Miami, we're just laughing at ESG. We're not even like getting mad about it. We're not even like, <laughs> Oh, stop ESG. We're just laughing. It's hilarious, right? It's hilarious. So I think that this is more along those lines and actually quite beneficial for Bitcoiners if we start having these discussions and we force people to push it all out in the open and to push what all of this is. It's information about money for information's sake, right? It's not to stop crime. The crime is happening everywhere. We've got money launderers all over the place. Who's getting caught? Who's getting caught? No one. <laughs> right. Right. It's not so I'm yeah, I'm the biggest money launderers, the biggest money launderers are the big banks. Right. And they pay they're, fines for it. Like they they openly admit to it when they pay their fines. Right. Yeah. But this is not new. Right. We've got HSBC about money laundering. Our producer has reminded us it's been how many yeah. fines have they had in the multi-millions and it just goes on and on. And uh, each time it looks premeditated. It looks willful. It looks fraudulent. Right. It looks criminal. This is done with intention, not, oh, whoops, <laughs> sorry, I made a mistake. These are things really happen. Yeah. Okay. So I have a bunch more slides on this about the C, but what I want to do though, I want to cut some of that out because I want to make sure we get to China. So I want to jump to slide number six, if we could, Chris. And this is, of course, they mentioned multiple times in this CBDC paper. And Powell has said this over and over when he's asked about it in interviews that the CBDC has to be privacy protected, intermediated, transferable, 
and identity verified. And I think that first one and the last one don't go together, right? Privacy oriented and identity verified. Those things don't go together. But the thing I highlighted here is the Federal Reserve Act does not authorize direct Federal Reserve accounts for individuals. And such accounts would represent a significant expansion of the Federal Reserve's role in the financial system and the economy. So this bill that we just read, the main point is so that the Fed can't issue CBDCs to individuals. Well, right here in the CBDC paper from last year, the Fed is already saying that they can't do that, right? It's not allowed under the current Federal Reserve Act. So it's a little bit redundant, but what I do like to see is like you were mentioning there, Nolan, some back, some back and forth, some stonewalling of some things, you know, a quagmire where the, they can't get anything passed. And that's good. We benefit when there is non-agreement and there's fighting amongst the political class. I think that's very good for people. Okay, let's go to the next we slide. Love fighting. We love fighting. And if we get this fight to be one of the big fights of the 2024 presidential election, the CBDC? Then oh, yeah. I don't think Bitcoin, and CBDC as the contrast, right? Or sorry, CBDCs and Bitcoin as the contrast. I don't think there could be a better endorsement of Bitcoin, especially if it's some old people running and they're right there and they're trying to say stuff and it makes no sense. And watching them fight would be hilarious and great for yeah. all the people that have their own horse already picked. And it would allow Bitcoin to just permeate the entire discussion, which could only be good. Yeah. Or watch them try to explain the current system. I mean, that's, that was, that's what their death knell is just trying to explain like how the modern banking system works to defend it. They wouldn't be able to do that, you know? And so I think that would be a huge telltale sign, but the, in, in this paper, the CBDC paper from last year that the Fed came out with, they did talk about the risks. And so I wanted to highlight these risks that the Fed is very aware of CBDCs and why I don't think we will ever see a U.S. CBDC. So this is a changes to financial sector market structure. The CBDC would fundamentally change the structure of the U.S. financial system, altering the roles and responsibilities of the private sector and the central bank. This substitution effect would reduce the aggregate amount of deposits in the banking system. It could in turn increase bank funding expenses and reduce credit availability or raise credit costs for households and businesses. Similarly, an interest bearing CBDC, okay, let me skip that sentence. A shift away from these other low risk assets could reduce credit availability or raise credit costs for businesses and governments. So they're worried about a CBDC replacing demand for things like treasuries, right? For things like bank deposits. Why would you have a bank deposit if you can hold money in your Fed account, right? So they know that this is a fundamental existential risk to the banking system. It, on the next slide, they go into either even further risks. So this is safety and stability of the financial system because central bank money is the safest form of money. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. A widely accessible CBDC would be particularly attractive to risk averse users, especially during times of stress in the financial system. The ability to quickly convert from other, other forms of money, including deposits at commercial banks into CBDC would make runs on financial firms more likely or more severe. 
traditional measures such as prudent supervision, government deposit insurance, and access to central bank liquidity may be insufficient to stave off large outflows of commercial bank deposits into CBDCs in the event of a financial panic. That sounds very bad. Pretty much you're saying you are creating more risk of financial crisis runs on the bank. So that's what I have lined up here for the CBDCs. Nolan, any comments on those risks outlined by the Fed? Yeah, I think it's prudent and thoughtful. And, you know, that, that's yeah. what I've seen from a lot of people who I've spoken to over the years at the Federal Reserve that have said, I don't want to go near this. And it's too complicated. And I know even I worked with Kraken when we first established our relationship with the Federal Reserve of Kansas City there. They were the local banker, I guess you can say. And interestingly, when I, you know, I helped with the early parts of the relationship, and they even gave us like a user manual, the way you, like there's a UX UI that Federal Reserve has, but it's only for banks, right? It, there's nothing they have, or it looks like it's for individuals, but it's not, it's for banks. And, you know, when you think about American system works or even Japan, where they have experimented with these CBDCs, well, this deposit question that the Fed, I'm not sure if that was Powell you were quoting there, but in Japan, they already had the problem of people taking their deposits out of the banking system. For example, the post office in Japan is one of the most institutions because it deals with risk aversion around pension payments and fixed income folks. And so the post office themselves within every post office has a bank account and a bank card and deposits and all that, but it exists outside of the system. And then of course, Japanese have a tendency of putting cash under their pillows because there is security of property in the country. You don't need to lock your door and you can still leave thousands of dollars in your mattress. So their objectives to get to the CBDC were totally different. It was to avoid this kind of behavior. So it's apples and oranges when you're comparing other countries and America in particular. So I'm glad they're aware of the legal ramifications, right? This is a totally different system they'd be setting up. And indeed, there would be unintended consequences that I think would leave folks like JP Morgan a little bit nude and exposed, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like CK and I have said from, for probably the last two years talking about the CBDC stuff. We don't think a United States CBDC will ever launch. And it's very unlikely, I think, that a ECB will actually launch. So the, they they really want it, but even the ECB, I don't think, is going to be able to figure it out. Trying something like it here on the island that I'm on, and they've been trying it all in these areas, all these islands around, and guess what? Nobody gives a shit. No one wants it. And they're just giving shit away. Right? They're like, yeah, you get stuff here, money. They don't want it. They don't want to sign up. They don't know how to get the card. They don't care about the card. They're worried already about the Vax Pass aspects of the card, right? Like, what if I don't have the pass? And, you know, people on this island that I'm on were heavily traumatized by the absurd policies around COVID when it came to going to the grocery store and all those things. We've seen every clown world iteration of like alphabetical you can only go to the grocery store today if your name starts with a oh, yeah. and the third letter is l and like they came up with the dumbest configurations so you know i listen to the local radio here just for fun sometimes and they're just a cursing about these stupid cards right like what are we doing and no one wants it and give me a break so that's a small island of folks who otherwise don't care about this kind of stuff. Could you imagine the, I came here because it wasn't as contentious as America when it came to 
COVID policies and all that stuff because of everyone fighting. It's just going to be worse. I mean, Americans will fight about anything. Yeah. And they're going to fight about this, and, you know, until it's not even a viable option anymore. So that's the yeah, thing. and and like you said, they're going to push this topic out there in the headlines, and it's going to drive people to find Bitcoin and understand Bitcoin better and appreciate Bitcoin for what it is. And so, yeah, the it's everything they do; they actually dig themselves deeper into the hole that they can't get out of. So, I think it's amazing how everything is so aligned. Satoshi designed a beautiful trap. It's a yep. beautiful trap. It's yep. the greatest. It's the greatest. All right. We have about how many minutes? 13 minutes left. Let's try to get through some of this China stuff. So one thing that I have been noticing, and I kind of set it up front there at the beginning of the episode, I feel like there's a lot of speed. You know, we're starting to roll downhill a little bit. A lot of things are happening. A lot of stuff out of China has happened in the last couple of weeks. So first we had them starting to do some diplomacy with Russia and Belarus. Then we have them propose a peace. Then we have them actually offering military aid. We have them doing other military type of, oops, hit my mic, other military developments in their own country. And there's a lot of financial development. So it just feels like there's a ton of stuff coming one after the other for China and it's not good. So I wanted to walk through a few of these things. So Chris, if we could get slide number 16. This is the most recent PMI data. This is the purchasing managers index. And what they do is they go out there and they poll people and they say, are you doing as much business as last month, more or less? And if it's at 50, that means the average is the same. If it's above 50, it means, you know, more than half the people said they're doing more business than last month. So really a 52, is not all that much. It just means a few more people said that they were doing a little bit more business. It's not that much. And it's also, if you were doing horrible last month, right? Let's say you were at like a negative 40 last month. And now this month you're at 52. Yeah, you're positive, but you're comparing that to what you were last month, right? You're not, it's not it's relative. It's not absolute. So here we can see in February, they started having some numbers, higher numbers that they, people are, so badly wanting to interpret as like China's back baby. So the manufacturing PMI was 52, the non-manufacturing PMI, which is like services and stuff, 56. So the average composite was 56. I don't know exactly how that math works out, but that is how they, they did it. It's not all roses over in China. Actually, let's go through a few articles. So if we go to the next slide, this first one is Bloomberg. And I'm going to pull this up. The headline is China warns hedonistic bankers to tow the Communist Party line. Xi, what is that? Posed, poised to tighten. Sorry, Xi poised to tighten control at annual parliamentary meeting. Finance sector is under pressure from common prosperity push. Bankers in China are being told to rectify their mindsets, clear up their hedonistic lifestyles and stop copying Western ways. The directive part of a 3,500 word commentary last week from the country's top anti-graft watchdog is just the latest sign that President Xi Jinping's campaign to tighten the Communist Party's grip on the financial system has a long way to go. As the National People's Congress kicks off this weekend, Xi is poised to further entrench control by reviving a powerful committee to coordinate economic and financial policy and install close allies to oversee it. That comes on the heels of the sudden disappearance of one of China's top investment bankers 
and follows the downfall of dozens of officials over the past 18 months in the most sweeping corruption crackdown on the financial sector ever. It is in its warning last week, China's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection said bankers should abandon pretensions of being the financial elite. Quote, all of these developments speak to one thing. The Communist Party will govern everything, including economic and financial work. End quote. Shang Meng, a director of Beijing-based investment bank, such and such. Quote, policymakers are placing the finance industry at the heart of the economy as a lubricant for its smooth development. And if the economy goes sour, the sector is mainly to blame. End quote. So that's from Bloomberg. Any thoughts on that or should I just keep rolling on to the next one? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you got to just add one bit of context. In China, yeah. wealth and money are not the same as they are in America. And for the Communist Party leader to say, don't think you're the elite is a normal order of things there. Power is <laughs> the more desirable condition and power is about access and you know proximity to the CCP. So th that, that frame has to be always remembered that the banker, the capitalist always had permission to operate, but it was never the head of anything. And great money and fortunes don't matter in much in China because they can be taken away and you can be disappeared. And none of those things, the way they would be currency in America, matter as much. So it is a little bit on brand for what we're mm -hmm. seeing over there, a little bit on brand. Absolutely. And it, I think it shines in some of these next ones. So the next slide, Chris, is... This very interesting article from the Southern, what is it, South China Morning Post. I think this is a actual government publication, but the headline is, is that what we're seeing here? Yeah. China no longer a top three investment destination for most U.S. firms amid mounting business challenges. And I'm going to scroll down and read from the actual story here. Restoring positive business sentiment towards China cannot be done overnight despite an end to zero COVID, according to the American Chamber of Commerce, AmCham in China. As a survey showed for the first time, U.S. businesses are less willing to invest in the world's number two economy. That the American Chamber of Commerce in China said on Wednesday that for the first time in 25 years of its business climate survey, China was no longer considered by most of its member companies as a top three market amid growing concerns about the country's policy, uncertainty, and bleak bilateral ties. AmCham President Michael Hart said that there is a, quote, a lot of work to be done to restore American business confidence in China, especially as a strong sense of corporate hesitancy persists. When headquarters think about investment, sorry, let me start that over, quote, when headquarters think about investment, China is no longer at the top of the deck. That means investments are going to other places, Hart said. Most members report that they are revising their investment plans for China, opting to make no additional investment or even to decrease investment overall. Quote, uncertainty around China's policy environment and expectations of slower economic growth in China and overall uncertainties in the U.S.-China economic relationship were cited by members as the top reasons for decreasing investment. And that's all I have for this one. I think it's very interesting. I've talked about this, that 
the only people that are excited about the China reopening were the macro people, you know, the pundits and the analysts out there that were trying to pump this up. You know, this China is going to save the world, but business has never been excited about the China reopening. They have actually just been excited about trying to divest as much as possible. So I think they're taking this opportunity for that. Any comments on this story, Nolan? Yeah, I'll add some overall color just from the board here quickly. This is what I covered this morning. And you see it goes from something called incrementalism here. So concern, broadcast, proposals, target, adapt. I mentioned it in relation to, I don't know if you know who Michael Flynn is, but he's the general that got into some trouble on yeah. the Mueller investigation. Mueller. Yeah. So he ended up writing a book called Fifth Generation Warfare, all about operations, enterprise fraud, what to look out for. And what he talked about was incrementalism as narrative getting pushed by mainstream media, politicians, and everybody. So I bring this up because when we saw the FBI director, Chris Ray on Fox News, important to remember, he was on Fox News, not CNN. For those of you who aren't American, if you didn't know, our news are all divided by parties. Fox News is a Republican-oriented show, our network. CNN, MSNBC are Democrat-oriented, but usually just priming their audience to think a certain way and involving themselves in this incrementalism. So here's what happened. Indeed, you're correct. Xi had a peace proposal last week. Kind of laughable. It was all just, you know, very cliche language. We should respect each other and blah, blah, blah. You know, the world would be no different had he not published it. But nevertheless, he did. So what immediately happened? We had Kriai go onto Fox News and start talking about the lab leak. And now lab leak, which I thought was already established a long time ago. Right. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know how it became a story again, but indeed we're having various intel agencies now confirming lab leak. What do we see in the same time, right? So this is how incrementalism works. We saw concern, oh, the lab leak. Now you saw immediately a talking point get disseminated, right? You can see when language is copied from one news outlet to the other. We need China transparency. You heard it from multiple networks. When you hear it on both Fox and CNN and MSNBC, you got to pay attention, right? Immediately, it was on all three outlets. We need transparency from China, which is true. We need transparency from China and from everybody, right? But we need transparency. Now, here's what you got to know. He went on Fox and he bald-faced lied about Twitter file stuff and government collusion with the narrative around COVID. He lied about it. He bragged at Davos when he went to speak at Davos in January. Oh, we're getting more efficient, he said, right? More efficient processes between all these guys. So he was there and then he bald-faced lied. He called January 6th an insurrection again, right? He called it an insurrection about violence and all these other things. So do we take him seriously on his China programming, his China incrementalism? Well, we've seen already now that this has been discussed and debated. We get all kinds of folks who are commenting, you know, China needs to show us transparency. We've now got a G20 proposal to sanction them, right? That came out of nowhere. Now we're talking about sanctions. If they give weapons, that story you mentioned about weapons that China is supplying Russia. Look, if China wanted to supply Russia with weapons, they could send them all as unweaponized things. You can send them drones, you can send them anything and then have China or Russia put them together. There's a million ways to get around this stuff that wouldn't bat an eyelash from these people. I don't think many of them are that quaint and virginal when it comes to weapons traveling across borders. We let out <laughs> one of the great arms dealers of the planet, 
right? We let one of the great arms dealers of the planet out into Russia. So of course they're out there buying weapons from Chinese, Americans, and whoever else they can get them from. So all of a sudden we see that as a story, right? Now we're hearing about, oh, they're selling nickel for Wong, right? Oh, it's actually happening. There's commodity markets being established between China and Russia. So you can see right now that there's all kinds of incrementalism going on. Why? I don't know, right? You tell me why, but I see the earmarks of a propaganda campaign and of a public persuasion campaign that fits the bill of 5G warfare and is enough to make me suspicious of what's going on. So no fan of the CCP, right? But I am a fan of the day when American people, we've been talking about CBDCs, when American people and Chinese people and Russian people realize what they have in common. They've got awful governments, right? They've got awful <laughs> governments. And they have Bitcoin yeah. in common, right? They have Bitcoin in common, and that's probably all they need. And and so there's the world's changing quick, right? And when I see all this happening in China, when I see our mainstream media involving in narrative incrementalism, right? Now we're past the sale. We're already deciding on what the sanctions are for China. Right? We're already right. thinking about what the sanctions are for China. And why are we doing that? <laughs> Where did that come from, right? It came from someone saying the lab leak came from there, which we already knew. Now, there's all kinds of other information if you go to the UN and you, they have been saying about America right now I don't trust them either right but they're saying the lab leak wasn't that simple right? there's more going on and if you follow the money really there but I don't think anyone's that interested in following the money around the COVID virus right now or at least yeah. we're not capable of following the money around it so it's just a bunch of psyops and of course, I think you're going to get a steady diet now of stories about China. And I believe a lot of the stories about the economy are likely true, right? I mean, I've never believed their economy is as strong. I've been to China enough to know it didn't really grow as much as they said it grew. Right? There's some ghost cities over there. There's some problems over there. There's yeah. some major problems. And I don't think they just go away overnight. And I don't think they're poised to take over the world. And I never thought that. Right? I was never one of these people about the inevitability of China. Right. Uh, but but now I'm more weary of our incrementalism because it looks like the dog ain't going to hunt out there in Asia or in, in Ukraine either. Right. I don't know how much more money we have to give them, but we don't have them our sons and daughters and blood and treasure to give as They suggest right. that we might have yesterday. I can't imagine America mustering the energy and enthusiasm to go to a foreign war right now. And I certainly no. can't imagine it with the Chinese situation. Right. Yeah, all great points. And incrementalism, you talked about that. And I think we, we saw something that maybe you could tie that into what this next story is about. And right before we wrap here, I want to tie this back into Bitcoin. So Chinese brokerages pressure to end overseas investment services. Regulators seek to close loopholes that allow foreign trades by mainland China investors. And I want to put this in context of the recent Hong Kong opening up back up to Bitcoin ETFs and also soon, hopefully in the next few months to actual Bitcoin trading. Um, so that is what I want to put this story in context of. I'll just read a few paragraphs here. Chinese brokerages offering overseas investing services to mainland clients have come under pressure from a regulatory push that seeks to seal off one of the few remaining loopholes in the country's strict capital controls. 
a new regulation coming into force this week from the China Securities Regulatory Commission reiterates the need to prevent, quote, illegal cross-border securities businesses, building on a multi-year initiative to clamp down on such services. The measure broadens a ban in December on registering new clients in the mainland, in mainland China, which originally applied to UP FinTech Holding and also Tiger Brokers and Fitu Holdings and brokerages backed up by Giant Tencent ahead of the regulations official publication. Investors with existing accounts are not expected to be affected by the move, but some have reacted cautiously to the official announcement at the time when regulators have taken a tougher stance on cross-border financial activity from crypto to stock trading. Quote, without brokers like Futu, I do not have any other way to speculate on U.S. stocks, said one civil servant based in Guangzhou. Guangzhou, I don't know what all these provinces are called. He said the company helped him open a Hong Kong bank account several years ago. Without it, he would not have been able to access overseas markets. Increased curbs on overseas investing, which are historically linked to China's control over its currency, as well as fears of capital flight, come against a backdrop of heightened government pressure on the profitable tech sector. Last month's disappearance of Bao Fan, a financier, who advised on high-profile tech deals was has unnerved business people and investors. Chinese citizens are allowed to convert the renminbi equivalent of $50,000 into foreign currencies each year, but the money cannot be invested and should instead be spent on purposes such as travel or education. Various loopholes, including purchases of insurance policies in Hong Kong and small transfers using friends' foreign exchange quotas, have been used to circumvent the rule. The rules. Mainland residents with bank accounts in Hong Kong or other foreign countries still have access overseas to overseas brokerage services. So they're clamping down on the loopholes once again in China. They're clamping down on bankers. We had a story on bankers. We had a story on foreign investors. And now we have a story on domestic investors. All of this is clamping down on the Chinese market. And guess what? They're opening up for some reason, I don't know if this was an oversight, but they're opening up to Bitcoin ETFs and Bitcoin spot trading, apparently. So perhaps this is going to be a huge, you know, route for this capital flight through Hong Kong, through Bitcoin to the broader market. What are your thoughts? That's Nolan? what I'm telling you. Chinese people and American people coming together on a common economic vision based on Bitcoin. It's all the world needs right now. Bitcoin is never stronger than when the Chinese people and the American people act together. And that's how early Bitcoin was. And I think we don't get to the promised land without that combination of forces again. And I include the Russian people in that same equation. So yep. we're getting there, Ansel. We're getting there. Let's let Hong Kong you know, retake its role in the world after it's been completely wiped out by the CCP. And perhaps this is all that's needed for China to reemerge and for Hong Kong to reemerge as a truly free city and one that has our respect. Because right now it's a shame. Yeah. Right? We don't care about China, Hong Kong anymore. And yeah. Unfortunately, well, it used to be our favorite place. Well, we have run out of time, Nolan. Thank you so much for joining me. Do you have any closing words, any plugs for the audience here? Join us every day at the breakup. We're live on YouTube. 
YouTube, live on Twitter, and all this kind of incrementalism, China, what's going on? We're going to continue to make predictions. All right. Thank you, guys. You guys can find me at BitcoinAndMarkets.com for all my content. My telegram is t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. And that's it, guys. See you on the next one. Bye. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.